Welcome back, everyone. This is Soul Boat Sessions, the podcast about music and fermentation. And this episode is really special to us here. Uh, if you've been here at the brewery on the farm in the last couple of years, on a Wednesday and then on a Thursday later on, you would have experienced something potentially that we find quite magical. We call it the Bluegrass Jam. It really is just a gathering unlike anything else we've ever had at the brewery, an open bluegrass jam for local musicians to come and sit in and get to know each other and play sometimes you know, traditional bluegrass, all new songs, uh, originals, standards, fiddle tunes, you name it. People have been coming from long distances increasingly to come and be a part of this really just totally magical thing that has unfolded and brought me personally a lot of a lot of joy and a lot of new friends so i'm i'm just so grateful to have the opportunity to be doing that and one of the first people who ever came here uh, to the brewery during a bluegrass jam was none other than cam ernie's cameron ernie's a retired school teacher uh an educator uh who was so enthusiastic and so helpful and so just all around great when he came and gave a lot of helpful pointers and then immediately rallied the local bluegrass players uh and brought them here to the brewery for a series of jams that have now solidified into a real tradition so it's just one of those things that we're so grateful uh, to have seen develop here at the brewery, and it, it brings us a lot of a lot of happiness to sit around and you know play rain or shine and uh, you know try new songs and uh, and really just kind of settle into a different groove um, uh, one day a week at least. So. If you're hearing this and you've been to the brewery on a Wednesday or Thursday, then you might recognize uh, the, the fine playing of Cam Ernest, who uh, moved to the area after college sometime. Let's see here. I want to make sure I get this exactly right. Uh, going back before college, uh, Cam was born in the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, he says he was raised with a whole bunch of sisters and a couple of brothers. And his, that his first musical experience was singing in the church choir. And that, that his first instrument was a pawn shop plectrum banjo just lying around the house. And that he uh, drilled a hole in it to add a fifth string to make it uh, you know, into a five-string style banjo just before going off to college in Santa Barbara. There he uh, delved, uh, you know, headfirst into what is uh, thought of, or, or often called, the three-finger Scruggs style after Earl Scruggs, uh, the bluegrass banjo style, and then later uh, learning claw hammer or old-time banjo, uh, which is what he brought to share with us today. You know, soon after or getting there to Santa Barbara, he's forming bands, playing square dances, and you know, developing a lifelong passion for the instrument and and for this kind of music, which we love so much. So, grab a beer, relax, and enjoy this episode of Soul Boat Sessions with banjoist Cam Ernie's. Where's your beer? All oh, right. <laughs> Salute. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Happy to be here. Beer in the afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah, thanks for coming by, Cam. It's yeah. great to see you. You too. Um, you know, I think of you as like 
you are the ultimate brewery fan. <laughs> you have you <laughs> came to the first bluegrass jam. <laughs> you have come to many dozens, if not you know, hundreds of those after. You even helped us can some beer. That's right. And you, you're covering all the boxes here. Man. So <laughs> yeah. um, we were so delighted that you wanted to come over and hang out and, you know. Yeah, thanks. But so tell us a, tell us a little bit about yourself, Cam. Are you from here and, uh, and your, uh, your backstory? I, I am okay. I've, I've lived in McMinnville, just down the road, of course, uh, for uh, nearly 40 years now. Um, uh, used to now I'm retired but I used to be a school counselor in, in that, that area um, a school counselor school counselor yeah I worked with little kids uh, in elementary school um, yeah I, I taught for a while as well before that um, and then I but that's how I finished out my career um, started playing music uh, when I was in college so that was some um, 15 10, 10 15 years ago no actually about uh, what about 50 years ago um my first instrument was the banjo wow um, you started with the banjo i started you, you went all the way there, like, <laughs> yeah that's a yeah. bold man right there you're like yeah. old musician is like i'm gonna pick that one with you know five strings <laughs> and... <laughs> yeah I've, I've since picked up uh the mandolin and then the guitar and um so uh i started uh you know I, it, back i went to college in santa barbara California and uh, along with the college stuff there was these like uh, recreational kind of classes that they let they let people do in the college but it wasn't really part of the college so for 10 bucks or 15 bucks I had a, a group of uh, it was probably four or five of us uh, that wanted to play the banjo so there was a guy that played um, in a bluegrass band and I had just I just scored a banjo down there, and uh, so I I signed up for that and um, fooled around with the bluegrass a little bit and learned about bluegrass. Saw my first bluegrass band, the um, uh, New Grass Revival. Oh no way! Yeah, back you know in Sam Bush and yeah, and um, that was your first show. It was my first bluegrass Whoa. show. Yeah, um, I start. Yeah, soon after that, I got to see Doc Watson, and I started doing a little bit of that. And Vassar Clemens came to our college. Um, wow. And then the and circle, and Will the, the Circle, We Am yeah. Broken record came out about that time, 73. I don't know exactly when, 73 or 4, probably. Which Maybe one? Little, Will the Circle Be Unbroken. Oh, right. That was the Nitty Reader band, and mm -hmm. that was kind of what brought the sort of all us old hippies new young hippies to to recognize bluegrass music um do you remember what was, that was like you know when you first heard it was that like you know over at a house party somebody had the record or i mean do you remember that because i know, don't remember the first time i heard it no i don't <laughs> uh, that would be great i was wish i involved? did because it was like it was just like it yeah and then um i i worked at a summer camp that summer um, way up in Northern California, um, and I took the banjo up there, and I uh, I really didn't know how to play it. I knew how to do a roll. I knew how to play Cripple Creek, and I knew how to play salt. Uh, no, I knew how to play banjo in the hollow, and I started to work on uh, uh, salt um, Salt Creek. So three tunes I knew. Um, the guy was teaching us. Uh, I think it was. Um, 
salty dog blues and I didn't quite get it and the lessons were over and I got frustrated <laughs> and then I went to this camp and uh, I met uh, one of my best friends still today who was a flat picker and uh, so he was really into Hank Williams music and stuff this is all sort of new stuff for me I mean I grew up listening to pop music and rock music you know and uh, so I got real excited about it then I went back to college the bluegrass class was not offered again but a guy offered a class in traditional clawhammer banjo old time banjo which nobody knew about and I was like yeah I'll try that great I loved it uh, that's where I learned to play clawhammer banjo back in 1973 or 4 um, and I never put finger picks on again for the next four thirty years. Wow. I just played I played open back banjo, I played with fiddles, played Irish I played a lot of Irish music. I picked up a mandolin so I could play uh, Celtic stuff. Learned to play the guitar. Um and uh here, yeah, um and then I while I was here, some buddies of mine decided to brew beer. <laughs> <laughs> So one of the guys had a place up in Yamhill. It had a, a, an outbuilding on, on 10 acres of land, and we turned that into our brewery. The woodshed. Yeah. The woodshed, and I think I shared with you, there were three of us, Cam, Alan, and Dick, and so we called our beer Campbell Dick Beer. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. You can swear on the podcast. You can it, say whatever you want. It tasted as bad as it sounded. Yeah. <laughs> I used to call it the beer with a great name that tasted like shit. <laughs> <laughs> Tasted like piss, so. Uh, uh, but we did we did that for about ten years. We brewed, um, and then I got to know you know. Well, we got Rick Allen's original equipment because I knew Rick and another guy at one of the other Allen knew Rick, and so when he was selling his stuff from Heater Allen, we we bought that from him. That's what we got brewing on uh, all grain brewing, but we never could get it very good. I have to say. I mean, that's the 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 pain and uh, and sort of like the. The glory of home brewing is it's all lives in your mind at first you're like i'm gonna make the best beer i'm gonna get all this equipment i'm gonna follow this amazing <laughs> book and you're reading charlie papazian and you're you've got it all Absolutely. figured out in your mind and this is gonna be incredible you're telling everyone you're telling everyone you know like i'm making beer and then they taste it and maybe some people are you know beginner's luck right my first beer was not so lucky and uh, I had lofty goals for this beer. I had named it. I made labels. I had a party. Oh, too. Basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and look before you leap, man, because I, I opened this up. Uh, this stuff up, and it was called Springbrook Brown Ale. It was named for this farm because uh -huh. I was like, someday, I'm the, from the first smell of hops, I'm like going to brew beer on that farm. And I, I handed it out to everybody. And you can guess the rest. It went. Yes. It actually was spat out by one person over the, <laughs> over the banister. It created kind of, of a scene. I was, I was horrified. I couldn't believe it was that bad. And I was like, uh, yeah, it's not bad. Well, as long as we made really like Irish stout and stuff, it was fine. It was when we tried to make more subtle kind of beer. It just came out awful. Um, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of esters in beer, and so I don't really like Saison beers and that kind of thing. And we would get this warm, these warm fermenting and all kinds of weird kind of flavors in it. As long as we were, it was cool and we were doing just red ales and stuff or stouts, it was coming out okay, but, or pale ales, but yeah. And then, uh, lo and behold, I retired and I, you know, you go see your doctor and he said, you got too much glucose in your blood and you got to oh. cut down on your on your uh, 
carbohydrate okay. uh, thing. So that kind of took all the fun away. So and you stopped eating bread so you could continue I did, drinking and, beer. <laughs> and honestly, but the bread was a part of it. We'd always yeah. cut a loaf. I'd always bake a loaf of bread, and we'd get some cheese, and we'd sit up all day long, the three of us, bullshit all day long. Other guys would come in, and we'd eat bread and drink uh homebrew or whatever beer we had around sometimes there's other stuff uh and and it just kind of lost its fun i mean that scene is so beautiful you're with your best friends you're in the wood shed or the little you know hut behind the farm or the little barn thing and you you've got beer you're brewing you're you know you got little yeah, equipment laying around you've got little vessels bubbling away you've got your instruments you're playing tunes i mean that sounds kind of blissful <laughs> it does <laughs> idyllic yes yeah Idyllic, and yeah. like everybody should have uh, those kinds of escapes, you know, in their yeah. life where you can just go and hang out, and, you know, crack some crack some beers and shoot the shit, and kind of just, yeah, yeah. Um, unwind a little, you yeah. know, no no pressure, you know, that's yeah. awesome. I miss the guys. I mean, I, I, they're still my friends. I still see them, but I miss those times that we were hanging around doing it. Yeah, um, yeah. What what are some of the other kinds of beers that um, you remember enjoying that you brewed? Like, was there another fave that popped up? Well, we we actually this was in the era when when uh, Pliny the Elder was the beer. Oh yeah, right. So Still we got in a, many parts. Yeah, yeah, so we got a clone for that, and we were we did that, and we actually had uh, one of them ended up pretty good, real strong, super hoppy beer, yeah. super hoppy and super uh, high alcohol. Uh, uh, it was quite good. Um, we, the, the, we did like a just a, just kind of a, a pale ale. Rick came up uh, to, to get us started, and that that one turned out pretty good. Um, one of the problems for me is that I really got hooked on some of Rick's beers, and I, I really love Pilsner beers now. And and we didn't have the the the, the cooling equipment to log our beer. Right. Yeah, we don't we don't have jacketed fermenters and all that kind of stuff, and we didn't have a, a room with a, a cooler in it to, to move them to. So that was the other reason I sort of got lost my interest in brewing. Because you tasted the world's best pilsner. Because <laughs> I, I, tasted you the, I tasted the world's best pilsner. pilsner well, that, I mean, that is so true. Once you taste that beer, a lot of people have had that same feeling. I mean, I remember when I moved back home here to Oregon, uh, I had been away for a long time. And my friends in Portland were running a restaurant, still running this restaurant called Noble Rot. And uh, they told me about Peter Allen Pilsner. And I started hearing about it uh, through the beer meet. I was living in New York City, far from here. But I, you know, the reputation was starting to blow up yeah. in 2000. I, you know, right after they opened, I want to say in 2007. Uh, and I could really go down a rabbit hole about Peter Allen. So I won't go too far. Yeah. But like they, they were ranked number one in the world by yeah. Rate Beer, which yeah. is a site that isn't really so... Uh, much reference as much anymore but anyway that made a huge splash and it was like coming out of a small family-run brewery in McMinnville so right. for those of uh, any of you who are listening who haven't had Eater Allen you need to know about this beer you gotta seek right. it out it is classic German style Pilsner the best uh, the best in America and some I mean they won the World Beer Cup again this year uh -huh. for Pilsner yeah and this is against a real classic this German, is against wine stuff on and like you know the the Bavaria, the Munich guys, and everything else—it's—it's it's a remarkable story. So, I—I want to talk more about them uh, and the home brewing equipment and uh, the brewery equipment here for a second, and then we're gonna—I want to hear all about Clawhammer. This I'll, I'll do that. Yeah. Yeah, we're here to talk I, I, Clawhammer I have too. A couple more things to say about Heater. Please do. I was a 
like everybody else from about 2005 on, I was a total hophead. I could not get enough hops in an IPA. And then, and then I met Rick, and we were hanging out at his place one day, and I, I, I had a, um, a coastal, a com, coastal common, I think was. Okay. That was my transition beer. It was a great beer, really just a, an ale of some sort. I don't really know. It's, you call it coastal common. And then I had the pilsner, right? and that was it. All bets are off. Yeah, all bets are off. It's yeah. it's classic. It's yeah. very. You know, it's floral, it's dry, it's biscuity, it's got a, an assertive bitterness. Yeah. And in, in this age of everything sweet, so many, um, you know, hoppy beers have become sweet beers too. Yep. And, you know, sweetness is just the, the American palate. I mean, in, in all things, not just in beer. I mean, we eat something like 147 pounds of sugar per mm -hmm. American yeah. a year. Well, not me anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Those are my old days. Yeah, please don't. Um, I, I, but before we just move on from this, just to say, your beers are... Superb. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they really are. You know, uh, you're you're giving them a run for the money, and and your variety is is pretty pretty outrageous too. Unfortunately, I just don't sample a whole lot of the of the more um, funky beers. No worries. Okay, yeah. that's the end of the interview. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Can't get out of here. <laughs> no, it's you know, variety is the spice of life. Yeah, you know, and like that's the, we have something for for everybody, I guess. Yeah. But. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm, I, it's so cool that we we share this this uh, you know interest with Rick and his family and the and the brewery and I could I've told you the story and I'll, I'll save it for another day. Um, but you know that that business kind of I would say kind of changed the beer world in a way. You you could almost think of it as like. Okay, what well, you know, you know when a, when a California wine you know ranked in a Bordeaux blind tasting, right? Um, you know, here comes like a small family-run brewery that um, comes out of essentially nowhere. Um, right. You know, um, Rick wasn't a lifelong brewer; he had a Banker. career in banking, <laughs> yeah. and then um, you know becomes an avid home brewer. He brewed I don't know how many dozens or hundreds of recipes before he committed to scaling up and getting it dialed. Um, but that really was like the shot heard around the world. And now lagers, here it is, you know, uh, you know, more than they just turned 10 yeah. are the dominant style in a lot of craft breweries yeah. and not, you know, of course, around the world still. So anyway, yeah. you know, kudos to them for what they did when to start a tiny little snowball that became um, a very big part of the, the craft beer world yeah. and then very much inspired me. I was like, well, they can make great beer in a little small setup. And yeah. so... Um, what, tell me about the homebrew setup then, because I mean the okay. gear. Okay, yeah. So the the gear we got from him was essentially uh, three tanks, uh, twenty three twenty gallon tanks, and then a uh, I think a ten gallon fermenter uh, conical and a little five gallon conical fermenter. Yeah, this is the system that created. This Peter is Allen the Tolkien. system. Yeah, that created. Yeah, the original. <laughs> Those when he was when he was bottling it, twenty two ounce bottles. Um, this was he. This was he, and it was it was his brother's. Um, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And so you were a fan of the brewery. How did it happen that you suddenly took this stuff home or to the uh, to the? Oh, the oh well, he was upgrading, and uh, he was so a friend of mine um, who's who was a musician who I played in a band with. He uh, was a cider maker up in um, up on uh, Ribbon Ridge, uh, White Oak Cider, if you've ever seen it. And and he he works for um, the uh, 
Tunnel, what's the his uh, uh, winery up there? Um, anyway, anyway he, uh, Alan's place is right next to it, and he was uh, working for them. And then Rick's also uh, a big wine fan. Yeah. So uh, anyway, he had connected with with my friend Alan, and they were friends. And then I, and then we got to be friends. And so when he decided to sell his stuff, I don't know how it came up, but I said, sure, well. Well, or Alan or me, I, one of us said, yeah, we'll take it. And then we had our other friend, Dick, who'd been talking about setting up a, a, a brewery uh, and wanting to set up a brewery. So it just all kind of came together. And uh, yeah. That is awesome. That is just, you know, we were talking about this last week, um, this idea of like, there's good vibrations in that gear. You know what I mean? Say what you want, no matter how yeah. spiritual or religious or atheist or whatever you are, there's no doubt doubting that that homebrew gear had some good mojo, right? Because right? you have the second generation, right? You have the first commercial. That's right. We do. Stuff, yeah. um, we do. And it yeah. was like, it was this weird way, you know, um, I'm, weird way the universe kind of like kicks out little opportunities your way if you're looking for them, if you mm -hmm. have your head down and you're, right. or you're manifesting in some way. And that sounds kind of woo-woo, but I actually think it happens some ways. Or if you're open to you it. you got to be open to it. Right. You have to have your right. mind open. Yeah. And I've been dreaming about this brewery since college, since 92 was the first mm -hmm. homebrew batch and thinking, well, how will I ever get equipment? How will I ever afford it? And what are, you know, all the questions that any, any startup brewery has. And we heard through the grapevine that Rick was planning on expanding. And it was like, the, first of all, super exciting because yeah. it was a brand completely wholeheartedly I've been rooting for since yeah. the first taste. Right. And then uh, I was also just immediately thinking, well, if he's expanding, he's going to get rid of that cool copper brew house. Um, maybe I should go down there. So um, I went down there and uh, I... I just kind of like darkened the door and walked in one day. And if, if you've been there, you've been there many times, but Heater Allen's tasting room was basically one door and one little, it's very simple tasting room, grain sack pinned up on the wall. And uh, I said, hey, Rick, how's it going? And, you know, we'd met a couple of times be, before, certainly at beer events. And I was kind of a fanboy, you know, I was yeah. just like geeking yeah. out on their beer. And I talked to him for a little while and I said, well, I'm thinking about doing this. And I, I quickly clarified that we're, we're not trying to start a German style brewery and mm -hmm. making pills. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, what, what are you going to do with the gear? And he was like, well, uh, honestly, you want to see it? It's just, you know, it's, it's just out here in the parking lot. So we go outside, <laughs> we go in the parking lot and it's sitting under a tarp. Oh, it's like like this is like the garage find when you or yes. the pawn stars yes. or something. Yes. Not not quite yeah, like that, yeah, but yeah. like where you're like, wait, how can this be? Where you mean the system is just sitting behind here under a tarp in the rain? And he's like, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do with it yet. How and quickly like, can I get a truck here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like exactly. Well, yeah. You know, but I had no idea what I was doing. It's already over my head. Even thinking about this stuff, it seemed like. But uh, I was like, so what are you going to do? And, well, I might list it with a broker. I don't know. I, and I was like, well, wouldn't it be good if to maybe keep it local, you know, in the area? Mm -hmm. I like, yeah, I think I'd like so. I, you know, I, I'd like that. That makes some sense. And I said, okay, well, I'm planning this thing. It won't be, you know, we don't, we're not trying to compete with you. And, and back in those days, there were not breweries out here. Here, Allen was like right. it. Yeah. And so there, you know, I well, was Golden very, Valley was already going. Yes, yeah. certainly but Golden then, Valley yeah. was there. Yeah. And I even spent a summer working in there and just cleaning out the mash yeah. tun. Yeah. For John Eliason was the brewer yeah. there. Remember that yeah. guy? Super nice. And... So I was very careful to tell him, like, mm -hmm. look, we're not trying to compete here, but um, I'm interested in the old gear and, you know, what do you want for it? So we, we talked it over and I didn't have any money uh, at all, um, but I had this vision and I figured if I, if I could get a hold of the system that had so much good mojo, 
that would be the ultimate, you know, wind or, or what do you even want to, how do you, what do you call that? Like the ultimate motivator, like there's just, there would be no turning back, yeah. right? Yeah. So um, I didn't have the resources yet, but I brought a bag of hazelnuts from the farm. I brought a, a little like five pound bag of filberts, uh -huh. you know, like, a, you know, it's like a brick of coffee from, yeah. you know, Starbucks yeah. or something. And I brought it in there one day shortly after. And I said, Rick, you know, I, thanks for talking with me. I'm really even embarrassed to even bring this up or I'm scared to even say this out loud. But would you accept this five pound bag of filberts as a deposit? <laughs> <laughs> the story gets better all the time. I'm not, I'm not kidding. And he looked at me with a straight face and he said, well, is there real money behind it? <laughs> or something like that, you know, and like, yes. And I, said, banker, I, I promise about. I will, you take this, don't sell it to anyone else. I will go out and make it happen. And he shook my hand. And it was the moment, cool. it changed my life yeah. that moment yeah, because yeah. I, then I knew, oh shit. Here goes. That's a you know, great. It's that's real. A great story. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember driving away, going like, "Well, I guess we got the brew house sort of uh, <laughs> lined up, and now what?" Yeah. But it was amazing, and they're just so awesome, and I could go on and on about them. But that's the brew house yeah. at Wolves and People here. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. In there. That's so, awesome. Um, uh, anyway, thanks for you know, sharing that. That's so cool. I love that story. Are you talking about music? Yeah. Let's let's do it. Um, I want to ask you too. Yeah. You were starting to talk about Clawhammer Banjo. Right, right. Now, can you tell us what is the difference? Where does okay banjo itself? Where does it come from? And where does Clawhammer and the style of open back banjo? How does that differ? And like, what are, what are people going to hear that's so unique and different? Yeah, good. I can even I can play both styles, so I can do a little example of both awesome. if you want to get to that. But okay. The, um, Clawhammer, uh, the open back band, you know, the banjo, of course, the, the story is that it's really was brought over on the slave uh, ships. So it's, tr it's, it's actually, a, I think it's, its origins are in the African music, but the specifically the five string banjo um, uh, was, is, a, is an Appalachian instrument. You know, it, it uh, goes along with, I mean, it's a great accompaniment to a, a fiddle. <laughs> Uh, uh, Why Appalachian fiddle? I don't, rhythmically, it just is delightful. I mean, yeah. I, I love playing with fiddle players, um, and um, uh, there's you know bass. Well, there's we were talking earlier. There's a tenor banjo, which is a four string banjo that you play with a flat pick, and it's um, melodic. You just usually play melodies, and, and they use that for jazz in the United States, and then the Celtic music uses that four string banjo so i don't know we need to go into that a whole lot but um what's unique in america is the five string banjo and there's two basically um two main ways to play it there's this mm -hmm. claw hammer and it's claw hammer because you hold your hand up like a claw okay and it's all down picking uh pete seeger did something where he would pick up on a string and then strum down and hit the fifth string and, and letting it resonate yeah, it's very, it's very uh, resonant. That was the Pete Seeger method, but the, the the true Appalachian one is all down picking. Okay. And it's a, it, you know, on a in a in a measure, you've got four beats, and 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 uh, so you start off with a picking a single note, some a bass note, or a melody note, and then you do a little quick little strum down and. 
catch that fifth string on the way out. The fifth string <laughs> that is delightful. That is yeah, like the, the fifth is string so is a, yeah. The yeah. fifth string is a drone. It plays in whatever wow. key you don't you, you're playing in. Okay. You rarely you rarely fret it. Interesting. I didn't know that. So that's what gives it that. There's a kind of um, a chimey, you know, bell, like a ringing bell feel to it that continues yeah, on and yeah, on. Yeah, it's the drone. Yeah, yeah you can, you can, you can fret it up here if you're up here. And, and I have some, there's some bluegrass styles where you can, where you fret it quite a bit. But I don't, I don't do a whole lot of that. Um, what was the first song you learned on uh, for Clawhammer style? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, I do remember. But <laughs> do I remember what the, how to play it? It was. Uh, 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 I can't remember the. I can't remember that tune. Um, well, that probably was something contemporary. Relatively yeah. Like what you know, guitarists learn black or, or not blackberry blossom, but um, you know uh, some other. What's the song I'm thinking of? Um, you know, there's sort of standards that people start out. Right. With, so. I think it was one called Old Jim, Old Jimmy Sutton. Okay. Let's. Hear some uh, Jimmy well, Sutton. let's see if I can remember it. <laughs> I don't know that I can remember it, but I just remember the name, um, and uh, I have, probably haven't played it in 40 years, so <laughs> I'm not sure I can bring it up. <laughs> Um, I was going to say one thing I can do is like one of the early ones I learned is a, is a tune uh, a Scrug, Flatten Scruggs tune called Cripple Creek and it's Cripple pretty, Creek. pretty common um, and I can play it in both different styles okay. so we can kind of contrast if, if that's if that, would be, that would be so amazing this is, we'd love to hear that so um, do a little let me get my finger picks out I'll pick it first um in a sort of scrub style. Um, I don't usually use, I don't use this, this banjo a whole lot for finger picking, like I don't use my other one a whole lot for frailing, just because I, um, the, the strings are a little higher off the, off the fretboard for, um, for frailing. I told you. So that's basically Cripple Creek in with uh, in scrub style. Yep. So, and um, so that was the down picking no, that was, on the thumb? No, that was all up, totally finger all, picking. All finger picking. Yeah, five finger okay. picking, yeah. Um, scrub style after uh, Earl Scruggs, the great major player, and then I'll, I'll play it, I'll, I'll play claw hammer style. Okay. And um, the, so the basic beat is the, you know, and, uh, and then you can drop your, drop your thumb down to pick up individual strings. <laughs> I like so the cool. I 
was. I like the claw hammer. It's it's a nice gentle sound. Gentle, yeah. I would say yeah. there's just like maybe a touch of uh, a touch softer, yeah. touch more um, uh, resonation. You know, right. like the notes kind of blending and chiming a little longer. Right. When yeah. we're in a big jam, it's crazy. You know, you can't really hear it. Uh, when I'm playing, uh, that's why I have that big resonator banjo when I'm, when I'm playing. If there's ten of us playing, yeah, it really can cut through. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, the banjo of all instruments, though, really is the, it, it so announces itself, you know, in, in, in a group. Uh, you know, it's just, it's a game changer. You it's know? true. Uh, and, We're the butt of everybody's joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you gotta, I'm, I'm sure you tell us uh, your favorite banjo joke. I mean, in a, oh, a the one self-flagellating like, way, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, you know, the, the what, the definition of perfect pitch is a... Uh, uh, throwing a banjo into a dumpster and it lands on an accordion. <laughs> so we love having accordions around because then they're the bunch. Then they like right, yeah. the yeah. the totem pole or the yeah. The, uh, yeah the pecking order. Yeah. Uh, that's classic. It's such a beautiful um, kind of like spookiness to to that. It's it, it's hard to describe the a melancholy uh, that you know uh, sort of yearning that you hear in that. Um, yeah. It, yeah. You know, um, it is. There's. It, yeah. It's it's almost um, an apprehension in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, there's tension. In tension. That. It. Yeah. I would say. Would yeah. You, yeah. You think so? What, yeah. What I think there's from? some. T- it's the. From? It's the. Yeah. It's the. It's the. Uh, uh, yeah, what is that? Uh, um, high, high, the high let's see, I'm playing in the key of A, and that's a um, a C. Uh, no, a D. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah. who knows why, right? Yeah. But somehow it, it does. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah it's so nice. So, um, you know, Appalachia being the home of so much amazing music and so many crossing cultures, uh, you know, from you know the Celtic music making its way in there. Um, music from West Africa, from slave culture, migrating in, you know, you, you, even maybe a tiny bit of Creole and Cajun type music somehow bleeding oh, yeah. up into the yeah. to the region. It's truly incredible yeah. musically and, and and all American too, right? In the, in the sense of being like it was born, this music was not necessarily derived from this land, but born here and kind of reborn a- Absolutely, here. Yeah. yeah. This Appalachian music is is truly American music, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, people uh, get it confused with bluegrass music, which is 
I tell them, well, bluegrass music is modern music. And they're like, well, what are you talking about? It sounds like it's ancient. <laughs> it does. But, you know, when you think about it, it was started in, what, the 40s or the 30s or something, whenever Bill Monroe came along and decided, right. yeah, we're going we're gonna to do this. So, right. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, if you could describe it succinctly, how would you, um, what would you say is the difference between Appalachian and bluegrass? Like, sonically speaking. Yeah, I mean, there's quite a bit, um, you know, the banjo is real central because of the just the, the difference in the way you play a banjo yeah. in it. Um, uh, it's the bluegrass has a lot more uh, bluesy kinds of notes in it, um, mm -hmm. the, the, you know, the bluesy scales. It uses solos. Mm -hmm. which um, Appalachian music, much like Celtic music, is if I say, let's play a tune old time style, I mean, we're all going to play it together. Right. You're playing the same melody. And maybe if someone's singing, if there happens to be singing in it, it is a kind of on the same exact melody. Yes. And it creates a kind of that right. yeah, the, uh, a union, unison feel. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's an old time jam that happens up in Portland and you go up there and it's walk in the room there's 20 fiddles all playing the same notes or trying to <laughs> or trying to and they will um they'll retune their their fiddles depending on what key they're playing in wow. and uh you'll be you'll be like you'll play an hour in the key or an hour and a half in the key of g and then they'll okay it's time to go to the key of a oh, interesting. I, I never i don't i don't play till two in the morning anymore so i'm always leaving you know before before we get to very many keys but um uh, but I think that's the essence of it. Um, the uh, even yeah, I, I liked what you mentioned about the singing because even singing is real follows the melodies of the instruments. Mm -hmm. And if you listen to Appalachian singing, it's it, this sounds like a fiddle. Yeah, it's yeah, like a violin. Yeah, the exact high pitched throaty yeah, kind of yeah. uh, tenor uh, voices. Yeah. Not so much harmony singing. No. Um, that was kind of a little. Uh, I'm not sure where all that comes in, but if you, I mean the, the 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 Carter family was just beautiful harmony singers, but I don't know that I, that's not that's a little different than Appalachian music. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, and then, but the big but the big thing about bluegrass, it's really performance music as opposed to just sitting around yeah. uh, uh, dancing. Yeah, square yeah. dance music is a lot of old time music is for square dancing. Interesting. So the setting changed a little bit. And then the instrumentation, as I understand it, I'm way out of my depth here, but like the first bigger guitars started to come along um, that could uh, like p compete with banjos, like volume wise. So the bodies of guitars were getting bigger. Yeah, big dreadnoughts. Yeah. In Hawaii, did you know this? There's a crazy history that came out recently that I wasn't aware of, but some of the first dreadnoughts were coming out of Hawaii in order to. Oh, really? Be audible above, uh, you know, um, in, in in certain settings, um, and uh, there were you know kind of comp competitions between the luthiers um, building guitars over there, and then ukuleles as well being built yeah. in Hawaii, and then becoming popularized in America. Right. Suddenly, there's a uke industry here right. in New York. Yeah. Uh, so it's just so interesting to see how like. You know, there's an industry that kind of mirrors the popular uh -huh. sentiment, uh -huh. right? I yeah. mean, that's so true of beer too. Like, not to change the subject back to beer, but like, you know, the gear evolves, the the techniques evolve, the the tastes evolve among those who enjoy it. Uh -huh. You know, and it's, it's kind of a symbiotic relationship. Beer and music, I mean, <laughs> just kind of go together, don't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. Instrumentation. Just I think, out of barn. Right yeah. <laughs> Uh, but instrumentation was fairly similar. I mean, the you know the 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 fiddle and the guitar and the banjo and the and the mandolin. 
and a bass. Um, the, the nice thing about the big dreadnought guitars is if you didn't have a bass, you had those bass notes. Okay. You could, it would ring through. Um, yeah. Interesting. Okay, yeah. So maybe that's why they were getting bigger in order just yet yeah, to be heard. And um, yeah, fiddle, so incredibly loud. Uh, you know, banjo, very, uh, an awesomely powerful instrument, right? You yeah. Know? So there's no way a little parlor guitar can be heard right. in that right. setting, right? Yeah. So, yeah. But then you're saying banjos got bigger too. Well, yeah, that's true. And the, <laughs> it's, a, it's a competition. Well, what they did was they put, a, they put a big steel, a big metal um, tone ring on the a bluegrass banjo. Okay. Uh, and then a resonator on it, and it just... Yeah, pushing that sound. Huge out. sound. Yeah. This, this, my bluegrass banjo, my wife comes upstairs and is like, what are you doing? You're going to go <laughs> deaf. <laughs> I try to mute it, but it doesn't sound very good. <laughs> <laughs> Oh wow! Oh, that's that's um, awesome. That's yeah, so cool. we should play a tune together. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'd love to. Let's play whiskey before breakfast uh, at a nice uh, afternoon. Uh, I think they call it parlor speed. So um, dance speed is real fast, and uh -huh. parlor speed is when you're just kind of kicked back. And what a great tune to to play at a nice easy pace. All right, kick it up. Whiskey before breakfast sounds Whiskey good before to me. Before <laughs> yeah. You want to know? Do you know this about uh, in the brewery when we often brew a batch of beer on a collaboration day? We will take some of the hot wort, the first runnings of the mash, put it in a glass, mix it with bourbon or whiskey, and as we call it a hot scotchy, and huh. we drink it as a group, yeah. as a toast to the collaboration. This tune is called Salt Spring. Uh, it's written by a, a, a contemporary uh, mandolin player named John Reichman. He's a phenomenal musician. He he, uh, he plays in a band called, um, oh, I can't remember. They're 
not have that part in there. But anyway, uh, oh, J John Reichman and the Jaybirds, um, and okay. they're they're just phenomenal. All of them are just these great musicians, and and he's written several tunes. I we play several of them at our jam, um, and uh, this one's called uh, Salt Spring, probably his most famous. Um, and uh, what's different about how we're doing it is there's no mandolin, there's no there's no finger picking banjo, uh, there's no bass, no fiddle, um, just you and me. And you know this one, right? I think so. I'll try, I'll try to keep up. Yeah, we're, we'll do it once again at a fairly uh, uh, relaxed pace. One, two, two, three. Soulbutt Sessions is brought to you by Wolves and People Farmhouse Brewery in Newburgh, Oregon, brewing experimental, distinctive, and delicious farmhouse and wild ale since 2016, like Honeycomb, Instinctive Travel Saison, Oregon Beer Awards Gold Medal winner Traveling Companions, Crush Pad Pilsner, and many more. 
Look for our handcrafted beers across Oregon, distributed by day one, and at great bottle shops in the following states so far. Colorado, North Carolina, Virginia, New York, and more to come. Bulls and People Farmhouse Brewery, which is open Wednesday through Sunday every afternoon and makes the ideal spot to gather with friends over a picnic and some delicious brews with hyper-local ingredients. Look for the weekly Bluegrass Jam every Thursday. We are wolves and people. We are wild and sometimes shamed. Come run with us. Soulboat Sessions is recorded and produced by Wolves and People Farmhouse Brewery in a tiny but mighty 1912 cottage with old guitars on the wall and an ever-dwindling collection of fresh beers in the fridge. The show is lovingly recorded and produced and remixed to perfection by Andrew Kay, who plays a mean guitar himself. So follow him on Instagram, at Andrew Kay. That's Andrew K-A-Y-E. I'm Christian DiBenedetti, your host and co-producer and the founder of Wolves and People Farm Elspury. And we would really like to thank the following amazing folks for helping making this podcast happen. Cam Ernie's for his time and wonderful playing and conversation as always. Martin Guitars for making the D18 you heard on this episode. And we'd like you to follow us on Instagram at Soulboat Sessions and let us know what you think. Send us rants. If you're really feeling the love, some $2 bills via Venmo at Wolves and People. We'll take your new ideas for episodes, corrections, complaints, odes of praise in the form of those $2 bills. And if you're an artist or a manager and you want to appear on the show, by all means, send a smoke signal to podcast at wolvesandpeople.com. And tell everyone you know that loves music and fermentation, there's finally a podcast for both. So thanks for listening. Keep the strings warm and the beer cold and see you next time on the porch.